We are so glad you've joined us today for our Tuesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. Having said all that, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 48 this morning. Actually, we're going to finish up with 47. We're going to finish up with uh, chapter 48 as well. If we stay on course, Lord willing, we'll be getting into chapter 49 next week, and then the week after that, chapter 50, we will be done with Genesis that we started two years ago today. And then we're going to get into what book, do you think? Exodus. And we should get done with that in probably a couple weeks. Okay, it might take a little longer now. But go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 47. We're going to finish up here. We, we, we stopped uh, and, and we're going to finish up here, verse 27 on. This is kind of a, a summary that kind of leads up into chapter 48. But at this point, it says in verse 27, So Israel, meaning Jacob, dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. So this is kind of a summary of Joseph's family uh, now coming into the land of Goshen that we went over last time, that Jacob and all his sons uh, kind of found out, obviously, that Joseph is still alive. And, and so now Joseph sends a bunch of caravans and carts and everything to go get his family and bring him to Egypt because of the famine. And so he lands him there in Goshen. And it says here that they had possessions there. They grew and multiplied exceedingly. This is what kind of sets the stage for the book of Exodus as we begin to see them multiply as a nation. This is what's going to take place in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 1.7, it says, But the children of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And so here we get to see the, the kind of like the birthplace of the nation of Israel as they all now come to live there in Egypt. Verse 28 says, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. So Jacob lived to 147 years. Um, he was able to spend his first 17, uh, he was able to see um, Joseph for the first 17 of his years. He goes off, sold into slavery, thinks he's dead, and now he hears about uh, that his son is alive and gets to spend another 17 years with him for a total of years of 147. And so it goes on and it says in verse 29, when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. Again, we saw this kind of agreement in Genesis 24 with Abraham tasking his eldest servant Eleazar to go find a bride for Isaac and to swear to him he would do that by putting his hand under his thigh. 
In other words, this is another way of saying that, that this person is to hold his genitals, the source and power to carry out the earnestness of the oath. I know, ooh, <laughs> but this is what they did, okay? I'm glad that that has evolved in more of a handshake agreement. But when God's word goes over something, we're going to go over something. So that's what is taking place there. In verse 30, it says, But let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt, bury me in the burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Now, when he says, let me lay with my fathers, let me lie with my fathers, this shows that Jacob expects to join them in the afterlife. He expects to join them in the afterlife when he dies. Second, he then specifies at that point, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. The sequence for Jacob is that he will first go and be with his fathers. And then after he is gone and he is with his fathers, it's at that time you carry away his body to the burial place of his fathers, which is in Machpelah. And so this is the gathering place at that point for their bodies to be placed but the actual gathering place is in the afterlife and joseph agrees he says i will do as you have said then he said swear to me and he swore to him so israel bowed himself on the head of the bed and so again joseph swears to him um jacob can now rest easy knowing that his body is not going to be left there in egypt And so Joseph and all his brothers and his family of Jacob are living in Egypt. They lived there 17 years together in Goshen. It's now his final days. And so he's 147 years and he's he's about to die. Now in verse 1 of chapter 48. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Notice the order there. Manasseh and Ephraim, because it is Joseph who's coming with his two sons. And the order in Joseph's mind is Manasseh and Ephraim, because Manasseh is the older and Ephraim is the younger. This is the first time illness or being sick has ever been mentioned in the Bible. The word here is kelah. It means to be weak or sick. I would submit to you in the context here, the, the meaning here is that he is losing his strength. He's about to expire. He's becoming weaker. He is about to die. And so those taking care of Jacob recognize this and they contact Joseph. Verse 2, And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. Does it say, Hey, look, Joseph and his two sons are coming to you? No. He was just told that, that Joseph is coming to you. And so Israel strengthened himself, sat up on the bed. Jacob is very weak here. If you're, if you're new here uh, and you haven't been with us, just so you know, Israel is Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Um, God has changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means governed by God. Jacob means subplanner, manipulator. Okay. So when you see Israel name, uh, you see Jacob being called Israel is because what he is doing is in faith. He is being governed by God. 
And yet when you see his name Jacob being used, it's usually he's doing something in the flesh, okay? But those names are interchangeable. And so here it says um, that, uh, it says Israel strengthened himself. He is being governed by God to sit up in his bed, okay? And we are told the reason of this here in a moment, you're going to see this. But Joseph brings his son, but this was not told to Jacob or Israel at this point. Part of uh, Israel's weakness, or I should say Jacob's weakness, is that he can't see very well. We're going to see that here in a moment, okay, as, as we go further down. Um, he's extremely nearsighted. Could be the reason why as he's talking to uh, Joseph here, he doesn't see that his sons are probably a few, maybe 10 or 15 steps behind him. Okay. So in verse 3 it says, Then Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Um, Luz is, the, is the, also the town of Bethel. Okay. It later on becomes Bethel. Uh, and he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you of a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Jacob recalls the promise given to him at Luz or Bethel to give authority to what he is about to do. The point is, is that as an heir to those promises that God has given to him, he now needs to hand off those promises, that covenant given to him, to the very next patriarch, and that's Joseph. And that's Joseph. Jacob's believing eyes gave him clear vision of the future as he's about to bless Joseph, he's about to bless his two sons, and then the rest of the boys in chapter 49. But I want you to take special note here of what God promised Jacob. These are the same promises given to the patriarchs before Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac. These are the three promises that are given. The land, the multiplicity of descendants, and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Two-thirds of these have come true so far. Through the descendants of Jacob, there's a multiplicity of people called the Jews. And the reason that you and I are here today is because going through the Bible is because the seed that has blessed the families of the earth and the seed is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, a Jew from the tribe of Judah. And that has indeed, Jesus' coming has indeed blessed all the families of the earth. But there's still another promise that has not been totally fulfilled yet. And that is the land that is being given to them as an everlasting possession. That has not happened yet. And it will not happen until the millennial kingdom. When Jesus himself will rule for a thousand years, that is still coming. And during that time, the only people that can live in the land of Israel would be a Jew. All Gentiles will be living outside the land at that time. So as death approaches, old Jacob, his physical situation of him dying, kind of takes a back seat as he exercises faith here, which is why he's being called Israel. This is so beautiful that the Hebrew author of the book of Hebrews writes about this in the hall of faith, that event in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the only thing mentioned of Jacob, of him being so faithful 
is right here in Hebrews 11.21, where it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, of all the things that Jacob did in faith, it's this act right here that gets brought up in Hebrews chapter 11 of this great faith that he did. And the great faith was passing on that covenant, that blessing. And it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And so here we're given a bit more information. We see that Jacob's sitting up in his bed in Genesis' account. He's also, as he sits up on his bed, is leaning on his staff. By being obedient to God in blessing, as we will see, Ephraim and Manasseh. And as he did that, being obedient by passing on the blessing and praying over those kids, guess what? That was an act of worship. Obedience is worship. Obedience is worship. Now, sometimes we come here, we had a great time singing praise to the Lord. That also is worship. Sometimes we sacrifice our time and and do something for the Lord. That is great. That is also worship. But what is the greatest worship is obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It's the best way to show love. It's the best way to show worship is to obey the Lord. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul is king. Samuel, the last judge of Israel and also a prophet, who speaks to Saul because God speaks to him and he, re, and he uh, relays that to Saul of what he's supposed to do. It says in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 15, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. They would wait for the stragglers and the weak and they would attack from behind and as they were going into the promised land. He says, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He's very clear. No one and nothing is supposed to survive. Very, very clear. So Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. But there were other people living with the Amaleks. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So far, Saul is doing a great job. Okay, he's kind of going, okay, look, I was told to kill the Amalekites, not the Kenites that are dwelling among them. So we need to let them get out of town, okay, because they were kind to us. And so the judgment should not fall upon them, which is great. I mean, he, he, he understands what it is he's supposed to do. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, 
which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Is he supposed to do that? No? No? And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. That's disobedience. Okay? Verse 10, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed has set up a monument for himself. Wow. Wow. Pride. And he has gone on around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul. Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Wow. Liar face. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Why isn't he your God? Why is he Samuel's God? Why isn't he Saul? Why isn't he your God? Why couldn't you at least say, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord our God? But he says, your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. And Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were humble, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. And he said, go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not... Obey the voice of the Lord. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. No, you haven't. Agag is still alive, and you brought back all these sheep and oxen, all the things that looked really good to you. And gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder and the sheep. And now who's he blaming? The people. The people. True worship is being obedient to what it is that God has called you to do. For you to show up on a Sunday, that's awesome. To hear the word of God, that's wonderful. To give praise and glory to God, awesome. To, to give uh, of a tithe of all that God has been given to you, wonderful. But then if you're to leave here and go back into the world the rest of the week and not obey God, that's not worship. That's not worship. He goes on and he says, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things, which should not have 
which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. If on the outside you sing a few songs, you give a little bit of what God has given you, and the rest of the week you don't leave in obedience to God, but you think you're okay with God because you gave a sacrifice or an offering? Uh-uh. God rather have obedience, that you would bow the knee to him each and every day and do what God has called you to do each and every day, as opposed to coming here putting on some sort of a show that you're okay when you're not okay because you're not being obedient to the Lord. The Lord tells us right here to obey is better than sacrifice. And just so you know, you can fool me. I'm telling you right now, you can fool me. You know who you can't fool? God. God. And please don't ever Don't ever come here thinking that I I need to make sure that Dave and the team and everybody thinks that I'm okay. Don't do that. I want to know that you're not okay so we can come alongside of you so you can be okay. That's the best thing, okay? Don't play the hypocrite that everything is going well on the outside. Hey, praise God. Yeah, everything's great. And it's not great. And you're involved in some secret sin that you don't think that anybody's going to find out about. God will make it known. And it'll be worse. To obey is better than sacrifice. And when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's a merciful, loving God. You have freedom here to lay your sins before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, and you will be forgiven. And you're not gonna be judged for it. Not by me or anyone else. You will be received. Just We just want honesty. We just want to know, are you having a difficult time? Let us come alongside of you. Yeah, this isn't good what's in your life. Give it over to the Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? Amen. All right, going back here to Genesis 48, verse 5. It says, now your two sons, look, who, look who's talking here. So Israel or Jacob is talking here. And he says, now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, why does he put them in that order? Because he knows how he's going to bless and how he's going to switch the birth order up. And the new birth order is going to be that this covenant is going to be given to Joseph to Ephraim. That's the direction it's going to go, not through Manasseh. So even though when Joseph shows up, It says he brought Manasseh and Ephraim. Now that Jacob is speaking, he calls them Ephraim and Manasseh. The order is going to be changed here. Now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Jacob just tells Joseph, guess what? I'm adopting them. They are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Jacob has drawn a comparison here, just as Reuben and Simeon were the first and second born of Israel. Jacob receives the two sons of Joseph as adopted now into the family at the very highest level, as if they are now the first and second born. In other words, Jacob has just adopted Ephraim and Manasseh 
in that order as his own sons, and they're going to replace Reuben in Satan. That completes this Tuesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us Wednesday as we continue our study in Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. And on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service, and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Evermore.